I'm grateful today that he is my king, my lord, and he's my savior, aren't you? Uh, he is certainly worthy to be worshipped today. Thank you for joining us this morning. If you want to take your Bibles and look at the 120th Psalm, Psalm 120. Uh, last week we began talking about uh, these psalms of degrees that are found uh, from the 120th Psalm. There's 15 of them to the 134th Psalm, uh, and, and the 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 thought that we put forth was that they were at least compiled uh, by King Hezekiah, a king of Judah, a uh, king of Judah that, that went through some difficulties. He had trials and, and difficult times in his life. As we saw last week, there were a, a myriad of things that he was going through, but, but the instance maybe that, that brought this about was the terminal diagnosis that he had. Uh, Isaiah had come, he, he had a a bull, he had a sickness, and Isaiah comes and tells him he needs to set his affairs in order, uh, that this sickness would be unto death. And, and he turns toward the wall, and he weeps, and he prays, and, and God grants him 15 more years. And, uh, and some would, would say that this is because of the 15 years, the 15 Psalms. And, and certainly we'll see some correlations between those two, and, and I believe it to be true that Hezekiah did compile these. And so we're going to go through them and, and see how that he responded to this difficult time in his life. He, he, again, he had a lot of things going on. He had this, this terminal diagnosis. He had Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, was coming against him and, and threatening him. He, he had uh, not only those issues going on in his life, but, but he had a lot of ridicule and criticism coming against him. And Sennacherib was sending messengers there to the wall of Jerusalem and, and just saying things that were, uh, were uh, demeaning and degrading and, and demoralizing. And, uh, and so he's going through a difficult time. And, and the 120th Psalm certainly plays that out. Let's read it together and then we'll talk about it for a minute. He says, in my distress, I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshech, and I dwell in the tents of Hedar. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Hezekiah is in distress. Uh, again, a terminal diagnosis. He's only 39 years old. He doesn't have an heir to, to take the throne, to, to follow in the lineage. He's being attacked by Assyria, and these lying lips and this deceitful tongue, Sennacherib is, is sending the Assyrians there, and, and, and they've, they've, they've called for a ransom, and, and Hezekiah responded to them. He, he gives them 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. He's, he's, trying, to, he's trying to appease them. He's trying to, to buy peace, but, but he's not satisfied. Sennacherib sends messengers, and they come to the wall of Jerusalem, and, and again, they're saying all these slanderous things and slandering Hezekiah. They're slandering God. They're insulting God. And, and so it just seems like everything is falling down around him. Anybody ever experienced that? You ever felt like, man, I don't know that I could take one more thing. I know this year it seems to me that, that that's the way it's felt so many times. How much more can we experience? I'm sure that's how Hezekiah felt. And he, 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 he didn't respond to the threats. He didn't respond to what was told him. He he cried out, the Bible tells us, unto the Lord. He gathered together the priest and the scribe and, and Isaiah the prophet, and, and he cries out to God. He makes his request made known to God, and, and God hears him. And so we, we certainly can identify today that, that this time of distress, we, we live in a world of distress. It's certainly a, a worldwide pandemic is a, an aspect of that, but that's not the totality of it. Now, there were plenty of problems before this started, Right? We have incredible, incredible division in our nation. Uh, we, we have so much lawlessness and rioting that goes on. 
There's, there's issues with relationships. We probably have never been in a time when there was more fractured relationships and just struggles. There's, there's spiritual issues. There's sin issues. There's emotional health. There's persecution that goes on. There's just so many things. It's a, it's a world of distress. We, we could all say we, we, we understand that there is trouble in the world, and the issue for us is to respond like Hezekiah, that in the midst of our trouble, we will trust in God and allow Him to cause us to triumph through it. That's what we want to learn from this. These are not only called the Psalms of degrees, but they're also the songs of ascent that the, that the Jewish people, when they went up to Jerusalem, would sing. And we can understand that as we go through trouble and we trust God in the midst of it, and He causes us to triumph, we ascend, we grow, we are maturing and developing in our faith, that we can come out of this better than we went into it, if we will trust God through the midst of it. And, and so today I want us just to see three simple steps to doing that. Uh, the first, cry to God. Cry out to God. That's what Hezekiah does. He says, in my distress, I cried unto the Lord. He didn't cry out to anyone else. He didn't go to, to find the, the, the ones who maybe would be the professionals of the day. He didn't go get expert opinions. He, he didn't seek help from, from his family and his friends. He didn't even go to the prophet Isaiah. He cried unto the Lord. He cried out to God in the midst of his trouble. You know, it's, it's wonderful that we have a heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. We have a heavenly Father who is a heavenly Father. He's not just a father, he's a heavenly father. If you had a good role model as a dad, you know it's, it's wonderful to have your dad there. It's wonderful. I, I had a wonderful father in my life and growing up, no matter what the situation or the circumstances were, if, if my dad were there, was there, I, I knew it was going to be okay. Regardless of what's going on, I can rest because my dad's here. He's going to handle the situation. Now, that might have been a little naive because there's certain things that would arise that my father my earthly father couldn't handle, but I'll promise you today, there's nothing that my heavenly father can't handle. There's, there's never a time as a believer in Christ when, when he isn't with me. He promised he would never leave me nor forsake me. He's omnipresent. There's no situation that he's not there in the midst of. That's a wonderful truth. I'm never alone. He's always with me. And in every situation of life, he's omniscient. He knows. He knows what's going on. And not only does he, he know my situation, but he, he knows the right answers. My, my, my earthly father might not have always been able to give me the right advice. He was fallible. But my heavenly father is not fallible. He always knows what is right. And he always does what he does in my life out of a motivation of perfect love for me. Sometimes that's hard to see. Sometimes that's hard to, to understand. Sometimes that certainly requires faith. But I know it to be true because the Word of God tells me that. My Heavenly Father is, is all-powerful. Even if, even if my earthly father were with me in every situation and always knew what to do, he doesn't always have the power to do it because he's human. But my Heavenly Father is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He has the power to deal with every situation and we ought to, to cry out to him. Well, we saw last week, Hezekiah, that was his first response. Oftentimes, it's our last resort. But what God's trying to teach us, that in the midst of our trouble, if we're going to trust God, we, we begin by crying out to God in prayer. We take our troubles to him. We cry out to him. Isaiah 38, we saw it last week, verse number 5. Hezekiah said, thus, God sends Isaiah back to Hezekiah. And this is God's message. Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer and I have seen thy tears. It's a wonderful truth to know that God hears me. That he hears me. He, he sees me. He, he knows what we're going through. He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities because he sent his son. He lived here in these bodies. He, he went through what we go through. He's tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He knows what it is to lose a loved one. He experienced that. He cares. He hears my prayer. First John says, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, 
Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desire of Him. Whatever the distress is that we're in today, whatever our situation is, the, the loss of someone that we love dearly, the, the virus, the, the fear, the, the financial issues that come with it, the obstacles, the truth is today we have the ability and the opportunity to cry out to God and know that He hears me when I cry out. And you know, for, for the psalmist and for Hezekiah, it seems as if that's enough. It's enough. He, he hasn't received the deliverance yet. The, the prayer hasn't been answered yet. Uh, the Bible tells us here in verse 1 that he cried and he heard him. In verse 2, he, he says, now deliver my soul. The deliverance hasn't come yet. The cry has already transpired. But, but it's enough that God listens and he hears me. He knows what I'm going through. Even without the resolution, it's enough that God heard me, that he knows my situation because that is faith. Faith is what's required when I can't see the resolution, when I don't understand. If I, if I can see it, if I know what's coming, if I know the end, if I understand it all, then there's no requirement of faith. Faith is what comes into play when I haven't experienced the deliverance yet, but I believe my God for it. I, I trust Him for it. When distress pushes us to the point of prayer, the result of that is we're made stronger in the Lord. You remember the story of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament? He, he has this, what, what he described as a, a thorn in the flesh. He has some issue in his physical body, and, and, and that issue is so troubling to him that, that three times he's gone to the Lord and, and asked him to, to remove that thorn in the flesh. Some would speculate it was his eyesight, Others have other ideas. We don't know what it was, but it was something that was troubling enough to him that, that he repeatedly went back to the Lord and, and he asked God to remove it, but, but God didn't remove it. And here's what God says to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. This is Paul's response to what God said to him. God said, I'm not going to remove it. I'm going to give you strength through it. And Paul says, therefore, I will take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses. Let me just sit, stop and say it's, that's a hard place to get to, isn't it? It is for me. It's a hard place for me to get to where I will take pleasure. I mean, not just get through it, not just make it to the other side, not just grin and bear it. But what Paul says in this, this understanding, I've got this thorn in the flesh, I've got this issue, and the issue is so serious to me, it's so troublesome to me that I, I've gone to the Lord three times and I've begged Him to take it away from me, but God said no. He says, I, I've come to an understanding, and that understanding causes me to be able to take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and in distresses for Christ's sake. And, and here's the truth that allowed him to do that. He, for when I am weak, then am I strong. And what Paul realized was these distresses in his life, this, this thorn in the flesh, this difficulty that, that came to him, it ultimately has led not to him, him being weaker, but to him being stronger because his flesh is now weak and his strength is found in the Lord. And the difficult part for, for me is that so often I, I, I could have access to the strength in the Lord, but when my flesh is strong, I, I have a tendency to trust myself. I have a tendency to trust in my abilities and what I can accomplish, and it's only in those times when I'm dealing with distress that I turn to the Lord and I, I give up myself, I give up on my strength, and I cry out to Him and I say, oh God, I, I can't make it without you. It's true always, but these these things that come into our lives, the infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses, manifest our need for Him. And when we turn to Him and, and trust in Him, then we find that we are indeed stronger through weakness. God intends, when we cry out to Him in the midst of our distresses, to make us strong, to make us stronger. If we will respond to trouble with trust, we will be triumphant. We can come out of this situation stronger than we went into it, whatever the situation may be, the present distress or any other distress. 
Because that's how God has designed it. So in the midst of our trouble, what do we do? We, we cry out to God. We, we trust in His justice. Notice what he says in verse 2, Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto thee, or, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. It, he, he says we should trust in His justice. God can handle it. You know, I, I grew up with a little saying, Maybe you grew up with it too. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't know that there was ever a greater lie propagated. I told you my parents were fallible, and they were fallible. They propagated that lie. That's a lie. Words are very hurtful. In fact, I've broken a few bones in my life and gotten over it and really don't even have anything to show for it. But there are things that have been said to me in my life that reoccur in my mind far too often. There are, there are maladies that I have mentally and emotionally that, that I, I have to surrender to the Lordship of Christ and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's never happened. I, I've broken bones with the, throughout my high school years, and, and you know, I'm over that. I don't even really even ever think about it. It's never an issue. But I'll promise you there's times in the midst of distress that I have to, to deal with the thoughts that come into my mind and oftentimes because of words that were spoken to me. But in the midst of those times when, when things are being said, we need to trust in God. That's what's happening in Hezekiah's day. There's somebody coming against him and they're, they're saying things about him. They're throwing false accusations out there. They have lying lips and a deceitful tongue. They're saying things that are false. And our natural tendency when somebody says something about me is to, is to step up and say, no way, man, you're not going to talk. Let me put my finger in your chest and help you know you can't talk about me like that. That's my flesh's response. That's how I want to respond. You know, there's things been said about our church over the last few weeks. You've heard them in the community. People have called me and said, what should we do? It's God's church. He's okay. He's okay. We don't need to defend him. Let's just trust him. Let's just trust him. Let's let him handle it. You see, this, this thing of justice, there's, there's a positive presentation of justice in the Bible that we, we need to provide appropriate help and do what's just and right to those who are fatherless and those who are needy. And, and I think for far too long, the church has failed to do that. The church as a whole, we've, we've forgotten about the needy in our communities and loving them and caring them and, and being the, the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ to them. That, that's a justice presentation in the Scriptures presented in the Psalms, but it's also in a negative way that there's a justice of God that deals with sin. God will deal with sin, and, and that's due to His justice. Deuteronomy 32, He is the rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity. Just and right is He. God is a God of justice. God is a God of judgment. Just and right is He. God is just and God is right. Judgment is the determination of what is right. Justice is the action of what is right, carrying it out. God is a God of justice. He is perfect. He discerns, he, he, he discerns what is the right verdict, and He discerns what is the right payment. You can trust Him. He is just and he is right. And so what he says is, God will deliver the faithful. Hezekiah's prayer, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. Deliver me from those who would say things about me that, that aren't right, that are, that, are, that are destructive, that are tearing me down. Deliver me from them. Proverbs tells us that there are those that hate, hideth hatred. Proverbs 10, 18 he that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth slander is a fool. You know, there's some people who, who hide hatred with lying lips. <laughs> they, they say flattering things to your face, but behind your back they say awful stuff. Right? It's just a reality. I, I, it, it's just us here. So we can be honest. That's one of the most disturbing things about the church of Jesus Christ. People talk, you know, 
smile on Sunday. But then when we're away from somebody, we say things that are destructive, tear people down. It should not be true. That should not be the case. We hideth kind to someone's face. Listen to Proverbs 12, 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. God has an issue with, with our words. They, they are impactful, and, and He says He will deliver us. In fact, not only will He deliver us, He'll more than deliver us. As we saw just a moment ago, He says He will enlarge us. Psalm chapter 4, verse 1. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Thou hast enlarged me when I was in distress. Have mercy upon me and, and hear my prayer. Not only will God deliver me, but what he says is that he will enlarge me. He, he's going to cause me to, to grow in the midst of this adversity. He's going to, to take me farther. If I will trust him and rely upon him and allow him to be the one who, who brings my deliverance, he says he will enlarge me through that process. If I won't stand to defend myself, but I'll just trust in his deliverance, he will deliver me. And he will enlarge me. That's hard to do, isn't it? We have a tendency to want to defend ourselves. <laughs> we, we have a tendency to want to stand up for ourselves. Hezekiah said, I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to rely upon him. I'm going to cry out to him and allow him to deliver me. Not only do we have God's justice that will deliver the faithful, but he'll destroy the false. That's what he says. He's going to deliver the faithful, but notice verse 3. What, what shall be given unto thee, or, or what shall be done unto thee, thou false tongue? The, the question comes, okay, well, well what's, going to happen, what's going to happen to the, the one who's, who's sharing the falsehood? The answer comes, sharp arrows of the mighty and the coals of juniper. The coals of juniper were, were the best fuel. They, they were the thing that burned hot. They burned a fire that could not be quenched. The doctrinal application prophetically would speaking of, be speaking one day of the father of lies, Satan himself, who will be cast into a fire that cannot be quenched. Uh, that is ultimately going to be the case, and, and hell is justice for him, and, and hell is justice for those who would reject Jesus Christ. It is a just recompense. The wages of sin is death. And that's not just a physical death. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 tells us there's a second death. And he goes on to say, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And so God is just he will not ignore sin. Sin must be punished because of the justice of God. A lot of times, Christians, we, we act as if God just sweeps sin under the rug. We kind of act as if, okay, well, yeah, you know, God's a, he's a big grandfatherly kind of guy, and, you know, he sits up in heaven, and he just sort of, you know, winks and nods at our sin, you know, and just says, well, you know, okay, <laughs> you, shouldn't, you shouldn't do that, but, but it's okay because I love you. No, Jesus Christ came and lived in a body, endured every temptation that we endure, died a horrific death on the cross, and suffered the separation between He and God the Father, and suffered hell for you and I, because God is a God of justice. And sin will be paid for. Sin must be paid for. You see, that's the choice that we all have to make. That's the decision that, that is required. That's, that's what we all have to choose. I, I either choose to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that He is the payment, the, the propitiation for my sin, that He satisfies the requirement of God. He's, he's paid my price, and I can trust Him. I can appropriate His payment to my account, or I choose to pay for sin myself. And the way I pay for it myself is in a, an eternity separated from God in an awful place called hell. It's a big decision. I'm sure you would agree. 
God is just. You see, that's the reason being religious won't merit heaven. That's the reason good works don't merit heaven. That's the reason baptism doesn't merit heaven, because it doesn't pay the price. There's a price for sin, and the price must be paid. Hallelujah, Jesus Christ paid it for me. He paid it for me, and if I'll simply put my faith and trust in Him, then my my debt is paid. So important that we understand the justice of God. He will not ignore sin. He will punish it. And if you're here today and you've never made that decision to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you've never decided, if you're watching online and and you've never decided, you've never chosen to put your faith in Christ that He would pay your sin debt, And I beg you to do it today. Today's the day to do that. Don't wait another minute. God will judge sin. There's there's the judgment of sin with with hell, but, but, but I want you to recognize that there's also the punishment of sin in this life. Besides the eternal separation from God, God, God deals with sin today. He, he says in verse 4, what's, what's going to be the response? What's going to happen? What's going to be given to the, the, the false tongue? Well, what's going to be given is, is sharp arrows of the mighty and coals of juniper. Doctrinally, Satan in hell, and, and God will judge sin in eternity separated from God, but but when he talks about sharp, sharp arrows of the mighty, this, this term, sharp arrows, it, it shows up elsewhere in the Scriptures. When you compare Scripture with Scripture, what you find is it's talking about words. And so here's the idea. When we use our words to destroy others, God will use words to, to, to come back at us. Listen to what Proverbs says, Proverbs 25, 18. A man that beareth false witness against his neighbor is a maul and a a sword and a sharp arrow. Bearing false witness is a a sharp arrow. Proverbs 26, as a madman who who casteth firebrands, arrows and death, so is he that deceiveth his neighbor. Psalm 64, 3, "Who, who wet or who sharpen his tongue with a sword and bent their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words. When we, when we talk about sharp arrows, we're, we're talking about words. It's, it's certainly a tactic of the enemy. Ephesians 6 tells us that we should take the shield of faith so that we can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Satan is coming after us, and he's coming after us with these sharp arrows, with these words, seeking to destroy us. That's his goal. He'll use words against you. He'll use words to destroy you. He'll use the words not only of himself, but the words of others. James tells us the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. I don't think we appreciate the power of words. They are destructive. And we should be very careful how we use them. We should be careful what we speak. You know, I pray every Saturday morning, a few men meet and pray, and I'd encourage you to join us. But a consistent prayer that I have in that meeting is, that all of us, when we come to this place on Sunday, would come and speak God's words. That we wouldn't come and and speak our words, because our words are worthless. And you might say, oh, sure, Joe, you you should speak God's words, because you're standing in front of everyone, and that's absolutely true. But but, but can can I say you should also? And sometimes the most impactful thing that happens on Sunday doesn't happen in this room. It happens out there in the hallways and 
as we're passing by and as we're ministering to one another and we're speaking to one another. And if we would all come with that heart to speak the words of God, I believe God would speak to all of us. Some of the most, you know, people have come to me at times and said, wow, when you said this thing, God really used that in my life. And more often than not, I find that those are the times when I don't even remember what, that I said that. They'll say, you, you said this, and that was impactful to me. And I'm like, I, don't, did I, I, don't, I didn't plan to say that. I don't remember saying that. I believe if we'll just surrender to the Lordship of Christ, He'll speak through us. And that's, where, that's what we ought to be doing. That's how we ought to be speaking. And, and when we don't speak that way, we should recognize that, that God deals with the false tongue. And, and the way He deals with the false tongue is with the false tongue. He, he says, you're going to reap what you have sown. Some people, you know, today it's popular. Even hear Christians say, oh, it, that's karma. It, it's not karma. It's, it's reaping what you have sown. Karma is a, a Hindu-Buddhist teaching. It's amazing how, amazing how American Christianity has allowed these things to, to creep into our Christianity. It's not karma, it's reaping what you have sown. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You will not mock God. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And we should recognize that that's not just in the big events of life. That, that's, we've been sowing all day. How we lived our life today, we, we've sown all day long, and, and be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever we have sown, we will reap. And, and, and the teaching here is if I'm, if I'm using my words, if, if I'm saying things that, that are destructive to others, then, then I'm going to reap that. That's, that's the teaching of the Scriptures and, and, and notice that it's, it's going to be the sharp arrows of the mighty. There, there's, the Scriptures are replete with, with the illustrations of this. There, there was a, a king in the Old Testament in Judges, Adonai Bezek. And when he would conquer another kingdom, he, in fact, in, in Judges chapter 1, there's the story of him conquering threescore and ten kings, 70 kings he's destroyed, and and when he would destroy them, when he would take them, he would cut off their thumbs and their great toes. You know, it was just his thing. Sick, right? But what the Bible tells us was when he was captured, what happened to him? They cut off his thumbs and his great toes. We, we studied last year the book of Esther. There's a man named Haman who built this gallows, and he's going to hang Mordecai on the gallows. But who ended up hanging on the gallows? Haman did. We should be careful. We, we reap what we sow. And, and so we should be cautious about how we sow. If, if my tongue is sharp and hot, then I should recognize that God is going to respond to me in that way with a, a hot and a sharp tongue. When we are distressed, we, we need to trust God's justice. Let him handle it. You see, it's not me responding. When someone says things about me, it's not me responding to them in that way. It's trusting God to deal with it. Because his justice is perfect. He makes no mistakes. Romans chapter 12. Incredible passage of Scripture. It's the, the application portion of this doctrinal thesis of the New Testament. Paul is, is laying out this idea of New Testament faith, and so he, he, he begins with, with the sinfulness and the hopelessness of man, and, and then he goes on to the righteousness of God that's imputed through Jesus Christ, and, and he walks through all of this doctrine, and then he comes to chapter 12, verse 1, and most of us could quote it. He says, therefore, my beloved brethren, right? He, he, he responds and says, now on the basis of everything that I've told you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so the idea is because of what all Christ has done for you, 
You, you should give yourself as a living sacrifice to Him. No longer living for self. No longer responding in the flesh. No longer doing what I want to do. No longer standing up for myself, but being dead to myself. And allowing Christ to live in and through me. And then he begins, as he goes through the chapter, he gives practical application to that. He, he tells us how to live that. It, it comes down to verse number 19. It's on the screen. Dearly beloved, in light of the fact that you're a living sacrifice, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I think sometimes we think, well, that's, that's nice. That's cute. That's, that's, that's good preaching on Sunday. But I'm going to tell you what, when I get out in the world on Monday morning and that guy crosses me, you better know the wrath's coming. I'll show you. You don't treat me like that. Well, that's just Christless. That's failing to live that's taking the name of Christ in vain. Oh, we might not have asked him to damn anything. But when I don't live like Christ lived, then I've taken his name in vain. And that's what Romans chapter 12 is about. The, the admonition of the scriptures, avenge not yourselves. <laughs> give place to wrath. Give, give place to who? Who do I give it to? Who do I give place to wrath? Oh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He says, the prerogative of vengeance is God's. He's the righteous judge. He can handle it. Amen? He can. And oftentimes the problem is he's not handling it because we're handling it. We've involved ourselves. He says the prerogative to vengeance is his, the, the principle of vengeance. He says if, you're, if your enemy's hunger, hungry, if that, if that person who said those awful things about you is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Now, I know you're, we, we, we explain this away and pretend as if it doesn't apply to us. I, I, I would love to hear some explanations as to why it doesn't. It is truly being a living sacrifice. You know, our temptation is when we see that person who's hurt us and, and they've done things against us, our, our temptation is to, to rejoice in their suffering. Oh, look, yeah, he's, he's getting what he deserves. Yeah, I knew it. What God says is feed him. Meet his need. Take care of him. And he says, in so doing, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. It's a quote from the 25th Psalm. If thine enemy hunger, or excuse me, Proverbs 25, I'm sorry. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. And the Lord shall reward thee. Again, he's, he's saying, in your distress, in your difficulty, when people talk bad about you, when people persecute you and they say all manner of evil against you. And it's going to happen if you live in this world. We'll see it in a moment. If you live in this world as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's coming. You can count on it. All them that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When it comes, love your enemy. Care for him. Feed him. Meet his needs. I don't know if I can do that. You're on the right track. You're on the right track. You can't. That's why you have to die. Give yourself as a living sacrifice to God. It's just our reasonable service. Because he died for us. Again, doctrinally, 
when, when he talks about this. It, it goes to that coals of juniper thing, the unquenchable fire, heaping coals of fire on his head. It, it's not just the fact that when you, when you do something good for someone who's done something evil to you, that, that they're going to feel bad about it. But ultimately, God says, there's the wrath of God that comes. When I've trusted to him, he will handle it. We don't need to defend ourselves. God's able. Trust in his justice. And then the, the last thing is cry out to God. Trust in his justice. And then wait on his timing. Listen to verse 5. Woe is me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. My soul hath long dwelt with them that hateth peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Meshach and Kedar. Meshach is to the north of Israel. Kedar is to the south of Israel. Meshach is, is Moscow. It's, it's the Russians. It's, it's what's going to happen one day. They're going to come down into the land of Israel from the, from the north. And, and, and the enemies from the south. Kedar, it's the, the son of Ishmael. It's the, it's the, 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 the Arabs that, that hate the nation of Israel. Far distant from one another, but in the midst of them is the land of Israel. Israel is surrounded by enemies. Israel has enemies on every side. If you've paid any attention to what happens in the Middle East, the conflict that is there, there are nations all around that little tiny land. I think that the, at the, the narrow waist of Israel, I think it's, a, it's 12 miles from, from border to border. Tiny little land grant in the Middle East and enemies on every side and in the midst of them. And that's what he's saying here, and, and, and the, the prophetic implications of this are incredible. The psalmist says, I, I'm surrounded. My, my soul hath long dwelt with him that, that hateth peace. You, you ever felt like that? Everything you try to do, there's somebody coming and combating against you. There's somebody warring against you. It must be what it's like to be in politics today. No matter what you say, somebody's going to be mad about it. That's what the psalmist says. For, he says, I, I'm for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. Hezekiah has tried appeasement. He's He's tried. He, he's given the 300 pieces of silver and the, the 30 talents of gold, and, and he sent it to them, and he, he met their demands. He, he tried to buy peace, but, but, but they're not satisfied with that. That's not enough. And again, let me just say in modern-day Israel, the same is true. They've tried to appease their neighbors. They've given up land for peace. We as a nation have forced them to do those kinds of things. But I'll promise you their neighbors are not satisfied. They, they give up I, I was there. I, I stood right at the border of the Golan Heights and, and, and saw where missiles come across that border. At one border, there's a power plant where Israel pumps clean water and electricity into the Golan Heights. And on another border, it's where the missiles are shot out of the Golan Heights into the land of Israel, just randomly shot. They, they've tried appeasement, and it doesn't work. It's, it's a conflict that's gone on for the ages that's the reality of it, but the, the same is true in our lives today. We should recognize that as we approach the end of time, as we approach the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a world where we are surrounded by those who have different values than we have. They don't agree. And the truth is, we're, we're not to defend ourselves, but, but appeasement isn't the answer either. No, notice what the psalmist says, when I speak, they are for war. You see, what we've been told as believers in the United States of America today is, hey, your faith is fine. It's, it's great. We're, we're all for your faith. Just make sure you have it down at the church. You, you can have it down at the church. Just don't bring it out into the community. Just don't speak of that faith. And, and, and by the way, when you do come out into the community... It, it, it'd be good if you would just agree with our sin. That you would be okay with, with all of the things that we value and, and you would keep your mouth shut about your values. I, I was in a meeting three years ago this week with, in Washington, D.C. With, with a number of our senators and our congressmen from around the country. Many of them followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would say, to my knowledge, all of them were followers of Jesus Christ. There were probably 30 who came to that meeting that day. They came in individually, each 
with their own time slot and spoke for a few minutes and took questions. To a man, every one of them said, if the church of Jesus Christ does not get involved in the culture again, we've lost it. Now, some of them were optimistic and said, if you would get involved now, we can save this culture. Several of them were pessimistic and said, it's too late, but we will need your help as we manage the shutdown. I don't know if we realize how, how desperate the world is for the influence of Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't know if we recognize that this great country is on the brink of collapse. And we could cite all kinds of things. We could say worldwide pandemic. We could talk about financial issues. We could, we could say corruption in the government. And, and you know what? All of those things are true. But there's not much you can do about that. Go vote. You ought to. But we're believers in Jesus Christ. And we have the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the hope. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus but what we've allowed to happen to us, we, when we go out into the community and we speak that name, they're for war. They hate that name. They don't want to hear that name. And so we allow that to give us lockjaw. We're not going to speak it. We're just going to go along. It should not be the case. It should not be the case. The world will, will tolerate us as long as we keep our mouth shut. As long as we don't express the truth of the gospel. I encourage us to, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wonder, I wonder what the outcome would be if I was as concerned about defending the gospel of Christ as I am about defending myself. What, what if I got more concerned about the name of Jesus being oppressed that I'm about the name of Joe being oppressed? What if I got more concerned about magnifying, lifting up, and exalting the name of Jesus and less concerned about lifting up and magnifying the name of Joe? I think the world would be a different place. Well, the, the, the tough part is the waiting. Waiting on the, the justice of God. That, that's, that's what the psalm is just crying out. That's what Hezekiah is saying. God, God's justice doesn't come in my timing. God's justice comes in His timing. And I've got to be willing to wait on Him. Uh, that was the problem that the prophet Habakkuk had, right? He, he says, oh Lord, how, how long shall I cry? How long? How long? He, he's looking around him and he sees all this perversion in the world and he sees that, that, that unrighteousness is running rampant. He sees that, that everything in the world has gone crazy and he says, Lord, how long do I cry out to you before you do something about this? Ultimately, the conclusion he comes to is, is the answer is to, to wait on God. The waiting is the hardest part, isn't it? Just waiting on God. But listen, God is true to His Word. He is faithful. He will bring justice. And in the meantime, our responsibility is to continue to function and carry out the effective ministries of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul told Timothy that he should endure afflictions, he should do the work of evangelists, that he should make full proof of his ministry. And that's what we're to do. While we are enduring, we're to continue to minister. No matter what happens, no matter what people say, no matter what's done, no matter how many pandemics we go through, no matter what kind of financial issues we have, no matter what the government does or, or who gets elected, really, our responsibility is to evangelize, encourage, edify, equip, so that we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Those things are sure. Those things are certain. And in the midst of our persecution and our difficulty and our struggles and our distresses, We've got to go forward with that. We've got to carry the ministry forward and continue to serve the Lord Jesus Christ to do the things that He's left us here to do. When we're in distresses, we want quick resolutions, don't we? I do. I, I, I want things done in my timing. I, I struggle to wait on God's timing. But it's likely that 
that God's resolution is going to be later than the resolution that I want. You know why? Because God is gracious. He's gracious. You know, can, can I just be honest with you? It's just us here. When it's my sin, I want mercy. When it's the sin of someone who's offended me, I want justice. When I, when I see others, I see their actions. When I look at me, I see my motives. The difficulty is seeing others like I see myself. And wanting God's grace for them. And wanting God's mercy for them. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and he said, chapter 1, verse 4, so that we ourselves glory in you and in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all the persecutions and tribulations that you endure. The church at Thessalonica is going through it, man. They're struggling. One of the most persecuted churches, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you who are troubled rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels." You know, I think the question comes is, where's my hope? Where's my hope? Where have I placed my hope? Is it in the blessed hope of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I I confident? Am I secure? Am I resting in the reality that my eternal destiny is secure in Jesus Christ? That I know that He is returning one day, one day very soon. He's going to step out on a cloud and He's going to say, come up hither, and I'm going to go to be with Him in the air. Is that where my hope is? That's, that's, what, he, that's what Paul says to the church. Listen, I, I know you're going through struggles. And, and listen, God's going to recompense tribulation to those that trouble you. But, but realize, realize that he's going to care for you. He's going to take care of you. He's going to meet your needs. He, he's going to comfort you. Verse 8 says, in relation to him coming from heaven with his mighty angels, he's coming in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. And obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power. And he shall come to be glorified in his saints and be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. You know, if we could, if we could get God's perspective, if we could get God's view of humanity, Maybe rather than seeking for vengeance ourselves and becoming upset and and warring against them, we would be people who would grieve for them because our eternity is secure in Christ. But if they don't come to Christ, their eternity is a horrific existence in a place called hell. Maybe if we could get God's perspective, rather than 